Well, would you love the Lord together? Jesus, we magnify your name today. We thank you that you are meeting us here again. That whenever we call upon your name, your word says that you will be with us, that you will join with us, that we can experience you. Let the power of your presence, Lord, be at work in us today. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Why don't you give the Lord a hand clap of praise today for his presence and his goodness to us. I'm going to ask you to stand just for a few minutes. Going to go to the reading of the Word of God. As we do, before we do that, I'm going to dismiss the kids to children's ministry. And uh, thank you for all of you who participate in children's ministry to allow them to learn the Word of God on an age-appropriate level. And once again, we're so thankful for those of you that are here, first-time guests or second-time guests that have joined us. And uh, we are living in interesting times. Can I get an amen? We are living in crazy times, maybe I should say. Times that I would never have anticipated living in. And things that we've seen this past 12 months that were uh, very unusual, at least in our lifetime. I started a series last week called Pandemic Christianity, and and part of what I was anticipating doing with that particular series is that I wanted to take some things that were part of what's going on in the pandemic that is still with us, that everybody was anticipating 2021 coming along, and then boom, everything just going back to normal. Anybody hoping for that? It didn't happen, unfortunately. I don't know if you know that. It didn't happen. But I, I was anticipating, well, I don't know that I was anticipating that, but a lot of people were saying, I can't wait for 2020 to get over. And 2021 came, and it's really more of the same. And uh, who knows what will take place next week. But I, I was taking various pieces of the pandemic lingo and using them, and so Last week, I really wanted to call it socially unmasked, but because of social media, I didn't figure that'd be a good idea, so I just entitled it Loving Our Neighbor, and uh, that's really what I was going to preach, but I want to do it socially unmasked. We, we need to be out there reaching people, touching people's hearts and lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ, taking care of their needs and helping where possible. And this week, uh, I'm going to preach on testing positive testing positive, and that really won't be about testing positive to the uh, to COVID-19, but it will be about being positive in our attitude and in our mindset. Let me read the text real quick, and I'll have you seated. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious For nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passeth all or surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, Dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. 
Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. God bless you. You may be seated. As I mentioned, I'm, I'm going to preach for just a little bit on testing positive. Before I do that, uh, let me give another shout out to Josh. Uh, last week we had a new light that came in. This week we had another new light that came in. So uh, at least the people on video can see me better. I don't know if it's it's helpful that much helpful for you, but uh, because of the uh, procedure on Thursday, Josh. I was going to meet him up here yesterday, but when I sent him a text yesterday morning, I said, hey, you want to meet at the church tomorrow, today to get this lights uh, moved and, and hung? And I said, you'll probably have to do all the ladder work. He sent me a picture from the top of the ladder. He was already on it, doing it by himself. So I'm going to give Josh a hand. If you want to find somebody who's a servant, Josh, uh, who's running sound right, right now, he is the epitome of what it means to be a servant. How many of you are glass half full type people? All right, one. How many of you are glass half empty? How many of you don't know what the question is? Well, it really depends on what's in the glass for me. You know, if it's half, if it's if it's something I don't want, man, and it's half it's half empty. If it's something I do want, uh, I don't know. It really just depends. But but some people have a different perspective on how they view life. There are people that are sometimes always inclined to view things in a negative perspective. And then there are other people, they view everything with a positive perspective. And at times, there are people who, they say they're not being negative, they're being realistic. Realistic is only what's only used when there are things that are bad, and it's only when they're being negative about things, but... But that's okay. It's really, though, about how you view things. And we're, we're living in a world that has an abundance of voices, an abundance of ideas, and an abundance of things that you can hear, many of them which may not be true. In fact, with social media, you can find just about any position that you want to on any particular subject. And when you do that, you get in, if you're looking for something in particular, we frequently get into an echo chamber where we just hear what we want to hear over and over and over, and we don't hear the other side. And in fact, social media will help you out with that because they are tracking everything you do, and they know what you want to hear, so they'll just feed you certain things, and you never hear all of the uh, options that are out there. And You may not hear all of the truth. You may only hear a part of it. But the reality is, and this is not being negative, we are living in a chaotic world. Can I get an amen? We're living in a world where everything that we thought we knew has been turned upside down. Liberty and, and freedoms that we thought would never be taken away from us. There are some who question whether we are losing those. There are some in this pandemic who are uh, using this pandemic for ulterior motives and looking for ways to take freedom or truth from us. But regardless of what that is, the reality is it is chaos that we're living in. It is time, a time when things are turned upside down. And, and when things are difficult, we often lose sight of certain realities. We lose sight of the truth of God's Word when we go through difficult situations and difficult times. John the Baptist, he was a, a, a human just like we are. 
and he had similar situations. John the Baptist is the one who baptizes Jesus. He is the one who is the forerunner of the Messiah. And when he comes on the scene, he begins to preach a a message of repentance. And then six months later, Jesus comes on the scene. And when Jesus comes on the scene, John announces Jesus this way. He says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He doesn't question whether Jesus is the Messiah. He just says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Confident, assured, this is the Messiah. He's baptizing people. Jesus comes to get baptized by John the Baptist. And when he does, John's like, oh, whoa, whoa, no. I, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, you're going to baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. And when he baptizes Jesus, a voice from heaven says, behold, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit, like a dove, descends on Jesus. And John the Baptist is there. He sees this. He experiences all of this, confident that Jesus is the Messiah. Until difficulty comes. Until bad things take place in his life. He speaks out against Herod and the wickedness that Herod does when he divorces his wife and he marries the wife of his his brother, John speaks out against that and he says, you can't do that. This is not right. This is not something that you should do. This is not godly. And so he is thrown in prison by Herod. And in prison, it's now a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different scenario. It's not what things were just a year or so earlier when he's proclaiming Jesus as the Lamb of God, when he's proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. Now he's in prison, and the reality is he would not get out of prison, but he would lose his life in prison. But while he's there, he begins to question, and he says to a couple of his disciples, he says, go and find Jesus. And when you find Jesus, ask him if he is the Messiah. Is he the one that we were anticipating, or should we look for another? A year earlier, no doubt. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And now, just a year or so later, are you really the Messiah? It's all about situation. It's all about circumstance. When things are going good and your ministry is going great, guess what, man? Everything is positive. The glass is half full. But in prison, it's not so good. It's not so positive. You don't think so clearly. You question those things that you once believed and that you once held dear because circumstances affect us. Situations affect us. So how do we live positive and God-centered lives in the middle of chaos? How do we live positive and God-centered lives in the middle of a pandemic? And how do we live that in the middle of political turmoil when, when your candidate may not have won or maybe your candidate did win? And How do we live God-centered lives in the middle of social and racial tension when everything is going on around us and it's not positive and people are losing their jobs and people are losing their lives? How do we do that? 
we do that by following the truths of Scripture. And so I, I want to give you, uh, normally I, I think this may be the most I've done in, well, pr- probably not ever. And, I, and I'm going to hurry through these, but I'm going to give you seven things from our text today that will help us to live God-centered lives. If you're, if you're new here today, you can go and you probably don't have our church app. You can look it up afterwards. Uh, if, if you want to, and you can see a copy, an abbreviated copy of my notes. If you have the app and you want to follow along, you can maybe look at that. But, but our text from Philippians gives us seven ways and seven things that we can do to help us live God-centered, positive lives in the midst of chaos. The first is this, Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. So the first thing that you and I need to do is to rejoice always. Now, I don't, I've got way too much uh, Greek information in here. But you've, you've heard this a little bit, and, and I'll, I'll just tell you this again. I won't use everything that I've got because it would bore you, and this is not a Greek lesson. This is a sermon. But the word rejoice is a present active indicative, which means that, or it's a present active imperative, rather, which means it is a command, and it means that it is a continual command, which means you are to always rejoice. Not just rejoice for a moment, but to continually rejoice. To continually to be in a state of rejoicing. What are you rejoicing over? You're rejoicing over the fact that you know Jesus Christ. You're rejoicing over the fact that you know that God is with you. You're rejoicing over the fact that no matter what comes our way, He is still on our side. Always rejoicing. Now the Chiefs are going to play today. 2.05 is kickoff. Anybody, Anybody plan on watching the Chiefs play today? A few people? There will hopefully be a lot of rejoicing. But when, it, when your team scores a touchdown, everybody gets all excited and they cheers, but then they settle down a little bit. And if they never score again, there's not going to be any more rejoicing in the stadium. That this command to rejoice is not just when things are going good, but it is to always rejoice. That's in, that is encapsulated in that word and in the, the, the framework of the grammar of the word rejoice. But we're to rejoice in the Lord. And since God never changes, we always have reason for rejoicing. Since He is a God who is never at a loss for anything, who never loses a battle, we always have need to rejoice. And just in case you miss it, He throws in Always. The word rejoice means to always rejoice, but he throws it in again, and that is rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, at some point in the future, I'm going to tell you again, again I will say rejoice. We have a God who is worthy of being rejoiced over and exhibiting joy. During the middle of a pandemic or when things are good or when they're bad or when they're ugly or, or when your candidate wins, Or when your candidate loses, rejoice always, regardless of the circumstances. I know you're probably familiar with marriage vows. I take thee to be my wedded husband or wife to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse. 
for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance, and thereto I pledge thee my faith. But it's richer or poorer, sickness or in health, no matter what the situation, you're pledging to love somebody. In the same way, I would tell you what Paul is saying here is that we are to rejoice regardless of the circumstance. For richer or for poor, for better or for worse, rejoice in the Lord always. Not just when my circumstances are good. I probably told you this before, but at least when it comes to prayer, when things are going good, I pray the least. I'm not suggesting that that's good. It's just the reality. And maybe when things are going good, I rejoice the most, but I pray the least. And when things are going bad, I rejoice the least and pray the most. But we should always rejoice no matter what is going on, no matter what the circumstances are in our lives or in our world. Rejoice. The second thing he says is this. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Out of all of the things that I'm going to tell you today, this is probably the most difficult for me personally. And that is that we are to exude gentleness. I mean, I'm, I'm really a nice guy. But my wife tells me I make cashiers nervous. Especially if things aren't going right. I'm just going to put it down because I'm 6'2". And not that I'm really not exuding gentleness. But I could probably get frustrated with people and not always exude gentleness. I'm not in the giant category, but nobody's ever referred to me in that way of a gentle giant. The word gentle here, it means pertaining to being gracious and forbearing. It means to be gentle, not to speak evil of anyone, not to be quarrelsome. Paul wrote in Titus 3, 2, to malign no one to be peaceable, to be gentle, showing every consideration for all men. I would tell you, I'm probably not the poster child for a gentle person, especially when things aren't going like I think they should. When things don't go the way I anticipate, I'm probably not always the most gentle. But what Paul says is in the middle of the circumstances that they're in, they are to exude gentleness. So the circumstances they're in are this. They're being persecuted by the Romans. Christians are being killed for their belief in Jesus Christ. And he says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. It's hard to be gentle if you're fighting back. It's hard to be gentle if you're striking out. It's hard to be gentle if you're talking about the opposition. Not only do they have the Romans that are, that are attacking them, but they have this false, various false religions that are coming in trying to persuade the, the new Christian converts to some other belief, some other faith. 
And he says, let your gentle spirit be known to all. What he's saying is this, it's through our gentle spirit and our disposition, people will want to know the God we serve. Jesus said it this way, someone smites you on one cheek, turn the other cheek also. My response to that would probably be to strike back instead of turning the other cheek. But he says, turn the other cheek. Paul writes it, let your gentle spirit be known to all. Jesus went on to say, the meek shall inherit the earth. Actually, he said that first, at least according to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. That the meek, the ones who are not striking out, the ones who are not fighting back, the meek shall inherit the earth. Can I, can I tell you that in this, in this crazy upside-down world that we're in, and, and I don't want to get political, and I don't know what your political... Some of you, some of them I do, but I don't, I don't know what you believe politically. But with either side of the spectrum that you're on, most people aren't going, well, just whatever happens. They're going to fight for what they believe. They're going to fight for what they think is right. They're going to speak out. They're going to post on social media. Just say, the word says, let your gentle spirit be known. The Lord is near. He is near in both time and space, and his coming is near. So let our gentleness be known to all men so that they will come to know the Jesus Christ you and I serve. Not only are we to let our gentle spirit be known or to exude, exude gentleness, but we are to pray always. Look at your neighbor and say, pray always. If you don't have a neighbor, just say it out loud. Pray always. All right, one more time. Make sure you guys are aware. All right. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Once again, it's another command. Be anxious for nothing. It's not a suggestion, it's an imperative. And it's a present active imperative, which means to say continually, be anxious for nothing. Show of hands. Anybody been anxious since March of last year when we shut down with the pandemic? We prayed earlier for some friends of ours in Atlanta. But I, I could name 10 plus people that I personally know around the country who've died from, from COVID-19. It's a real deal. The majority of people are going to be okay. But not everybody will be okay, and you never know how you're going to respond. I went in Thursday before last to uh, the dermatologist to look at this spot on my neck, I mean, I knew it was a little odd, and 
And she said, well, it looks like a basal cell carcinoma. And I was like, man, I prefer a time cell carcinoma. Just kidding. It's B-A-S-A-L, not B-A-S-I-L, for those of you who don't know your herbs. And she's like, we're going to do a biopsy. I mean, I, would, I was just expecting her to look at it. She's like, we're going to numb you up. We're going to cut some stuff out of here. And we're going to send this off. And I'm like, all right, well, let's do that. And they, they, cut, they cut on me. And, and she said, oh, yeah, we need, I need to cauterize this so it doesn't bleed everywhere. And she takes this cauterizing thing, and I'm smelling burnt flesh. And I was like, man, I didn't sign up for this today. And, uh. I mean, I haven't had anything wrong with me since I was three years old and got stitches in my forehead. And so she does all that. She said, we'll know in about a week. We'll, we'll send this off, get the pathology re- report. I was actually with a couple of guys here in the church eating breakfast th- Tuesday. This past Tuesday, they called and said, yeah, it's cancerous, and you need to come in. And So I'm like, yeah, it's not a big deal. And the reality is, it's, it's, if you're going to get skin cancer, this is the kind you want. It's the most common kind. It doesn't spread. It, it can pop up in other places, but it's not going to recur as long as they get it all. And so I wasn't worried about it, but I was worried about it. <laughs> I'm not worried about getting COVID, but I sure don't want it. Because you never know how you'll react. But the Bible says that regardless of what's going on, be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious. Easier said than done. But what he says is that in place of being anxious, what we're supposed to do is we're to in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Make our requests known to God. He knows them already. He knows everything that we're facing. He knows everything that we're concerned about. He knows everything that's going on in our lives. But he says, pray anyway. With prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving. Why are we doing it with thanksgiving? Because he's able to take care of it. That we go to him and say, hey God, I'm coming to you. I want you to take care of this and I'm thanking you for Because I know that you can. I know that there's not a problem that you can't fix. So with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, we take our request to Him. The alternative is to, to be anxious. To be worried. To be consumed with anxiety. But when we believe that God is at work, there is no room for anxiety or worry. If we really think that he's going to take care of our problem, why should we worry? Why should we be anxious? I saw a statistic, man, years and years ago that said this, that only 8% of what people worry about actually happens. Only 8%. The people that aren't prone to worry say, see, you're just worrying about that for nothing. The people that are prone to worry say, see, it's a good thing I worried about it. It won't happen. But only 8%, which means we spend all kinds of energy and all kinds of 
time worrying about something that doesn't happen. Here's what I would tell you, though. That what we fail to pray about will almost never be taken care of. That if we don't take it to God in prayer, we can have no confidence that He's going to be at work. If we don't go to Him and say, Lord, this is what I'm struggling with, or this is what I'm facing, can you take care of this? If we don't go to Him, He might work. But the majority of the time, He will not work unless we take it to Him in prayer. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather take things to God in prayer than to sit around worrying about it and hoping that it doesn't happen, or hoping that it just gets better. Be anxious for nothing, but pray always. And i got to hurry. Number four is this, that we receive God's peace. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's when we pray that we receive His peace. There's a conjunction at the beginning of this verse. Praying always, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. If we don't pray, we can have no assurance of God's peace. If we don't pray, we can have no assurance that He's at work, and then you probably shouldn't have peace. But when you pray, you can have the assurance that God is at work, and therefore you can have peace that He will be with you and in your situ- situation. God gives us peace. He is the God of peace. He knows the future. Nothing can harm Him. And when He is at work, nothing can harm us. When God is at work, everything will work out for our good. And in the middle of this, He says, it's peace that surpasses all comprehension. It's such a great peace that you can't even comprehend what it's like. I don't know about you, but I, I want that kind of peace. Peace that it's not just, yeah, I can see it a little bit. I can understand. I want peace that passes comprehension. Why are you so peaceful, man? I don't know. It's just awesome. It passes our comprehension when the God of peace is at work in us. And he says this, it will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Donnie wants me to sing, this train is bound for glory right now. I'm not going to do it. How many of you actually know that song, this train is bound for glory? It's what props into my head every time a train goes by during the middle of service. I just want to sing that. But he says, this peace will guard our hearts and our minds. The word guard here is a military term in Philippi. Remember, we're in the book of Philippians. It is a letter written to the church at Philippi. Philippi, there is a Roman garrison right outside the city that is guarding them. And Paul uses that same kind of term, and he says that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. But it it's, has to be... Prayer is made, and then we receive His peace. And when we do, it will guard our minds, our hearts and minds, actually, is what it says. And those two words are all-encompassing of our emotions, our will, and our thought processes. 
that when our, our heart and our mind is being guarded by the peace of God, then our emotions are stable and we're not, we're not all in fear and we're not afraid of what's going to happen because our emotions are guarded by the peace of God. And we're not constantly worried about what's going to take place because the peace of God is, is superimposed on our thought processes and we're thinking thoughts that God wants us to think. I'll just throw this in when anytime you're trying to make decisions about life or what have whatever it may be a missionary told me this i was probably late teens he said when you're trying to make decisions and you're not sure what it is that you should do he said follow peace that whatever you have peace about, if you've got a, a choice A and choice B, whichever one you have peace about, follow peace. Because our enemy is all about chaos, he's all about destruction, but God is a God of peace. And wherever the peace is, you can know that God is at work. Follow peace. Fifthly, he says that we are to dwell on the good. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these. I'm just going to run through this super quick. But that which is true, it's fact, it's not speculation. That which is honorable, that means it is worthy of of honor and respect that which is right it denotes that which is righteous or that which is godly thinking on the godly things thinking on the true things thinking on the honorable things thinking on the pure things or those things which are not uh, blemished or have moral defect that which is lovely or that which is pleasing to god or that which is of good repute or worthy of approval or good reputation he says dwell on these things once again, it's another imperative. It's another command of Scripture. Think about these things. And there's a flow to the text. When you pray, you have God's peace. And when you have God's peace, it guards your heart and your mind. And then you think on the proper things. It's a, our, our natural inclination is to think the worst. To think about what's possibly going to go wrong and what, how bad things can be. But he says, think on the good things. What we listen to, what we watch, what we read can negatively impact us. Joe Biden made a statement. He got, he got a lot of flack for, and probably rightly so. He said, we choose truth over fact. And in our current culture in our current climate i don't know that he meant to say that but what's typically going on in, in our current climate is you have your truth i have my truth regardless of what the facts are and what's true for me may not be true for you and, and that's where we are and it's just this made up idea of truth but the reality is this is that we should choose truth over fact and by that I mean this, we should choose God's truth over the facts that are presented. That God is, is true regardless. 
regardless of what the facts say, regardless of how sick you may be, the truth is God is a healer. That you may not have a job, but the truth is God is a provider. The facts say you're unemployed, but the truth says He is a provider. You may be bound, but the truth is that God is a deliverer, and He can set you free. That we choose God's truth over our present reality. And the facts say that our world is in a lot of trouble, but the truth is that He is coming again. That He is coming to take us out of here. I don't know when He's coming, but I just want to be ready. Can I get an amen for that? Number six, we should practice apostolic lifestyle. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Practice these. The word practice, once again, it's a command. Do what the apostles did. What you've learned from them, what you've received from them, what you've heard, what you've all of this thing, what you've seen. Paul said in another place, follow me as I follow Christ. So do all of that. And when you, when you do what the apostles did, guess what? You get what the apostles got. You get the supernatural power of God working in you. You see signs and miracles and wonders in the middle of persecution. And I hurry, lastly, experience God's presence. The last half of verse 9 says, And the God of peace will be with you. I don't know that I could fathom going through life not having the Spirit, the power, and the presence of God with me. I don't know what people do when they don't have God in their lives. But God tells us through His Word that the God of peace will be with us. In our chaos, He will give us peace. He will never leave us or forsake us. There is nothing like the presence of God. Psalm 73, it's a psalm of Asaph, chief musician of Israel. And he contrasts, in Psalm 73, he, he contrasts what the wicked and how they seem to flourish and how things seem to go good for them. I don't want to read all this, but I'll read a couple of verses, then I'll cut down to... He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then he goes on to say, hey man, they're, they're flourishing and they don't have any trouble. They don't have any problems and they seem to be abounding and they seem to have abundance and they seem to be winning at everything. 
verse 17, he says, Until I came into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. That when he came into the presence of God, he understood that God's going to take care of the wicked. They may seem to be prospering now, but their end is destruction. But the end of those who follow God is to be in his presence forevermore. And he says, when I walked into the sanctuary, and that's indicative of walking into the presence of God. It's analogous to being in his presence. When I got into his presence, I understood everything. And I was no longer worried about the wicked, but I just was understanding what's going to happen because I was in the presence of God. We are to rejoice always. We are to exude gentleness we are to pray always to receive god's peace to dwell on the good to practice apostolic lifestyle and to experience god's presence we are living in chaotic times and the most important thing that we can do is to experience his presence and in his presence everything else fades away and all of the other problems of life disappear when we are in the presence of God I want to always experience his presence why don't you stand together There's nothing like being in the presence of God. I don't know about you, but I want to be positive during this difficult season that we're in. I want to be an example of what it means to be godly in the middle of this pandemic. I don't like what's going on. I'm not happy with what's going on in a variety of ways with the various mandates and the the shutdowns and the political scene that's going on. But through all of that, God is actually in control. Anybody believe that God's still in control today? And when I don't know what to feel and I don't know what to think and what to believe that if I just get in his presence then everything will take care of itself when I come into the sanctuary of God like Asaph then I can understand that God's still in control and everything is going to be taken care of that no matter how bad it seems God will take care of it all Aren't you thankful that we serve a God who is in control and will take care of everything? And at the end of all of this, regardless of when he comes, he is still coming again. And we will live with him forever. Would you close your eyes? Would you just talk to the Lord right now?